Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, comrades, compañeros, freeloaders, losers, weirdos, fifth columnists, um, I'll keep it brief. This is what I've done the last couple of episodes, telling you that this is a paid episode, but we're giving you a little free taste here because we want you to sign up. And so here is a little bit of our episode that seems like it's about sports because we have the great uh, Ethan Strauss, uh, sports journalist of House of Strauss. Uh, coming to talk to us about a number of things that are kind of sports related, but really not about sports at the end of the day. It's mostly about the things that you're interested in. So have a listen and come over and subscribe. It really helps us out. We know of new methods of attack. I, you go, I will start with last. Guest. I'll start with Lapchick. Uh, Richard Lapchick uh, is yes. the guy I'm referring to who I wrote about. Who the best way to describe him to you, non-sports fan people, would be that he is the Robin D'Angelo of sports, and <laughs> unlike unlike D'Angelo, he does not write books. He wrote one book in particular in 1984, which uh, is going to be of some relevance to the conversation yeah. later. Uh, but he it's stopped called, right I'm a liar, there. <laughs> basically. <laughs> um, yeah. So. He uh, does report cards for all the leagues and the NHL, the NBA, the NFL, and a bunch of other sports leagues now. He's expanded his business. He's very open about but did how— this, But did this predate George Floyd? Was he doing yes. this like in 2018 and stuff? He was doing like diversity yeah. report cards? Yes, all he right. was. He has been on this for a while. He was involved in the early 2000s to get the NFL to implement their so-called Rooney Rule, where you have to yeah. interview with a minority coach before hiring the mm-hmm. coach you actually want to hire. Uh, they don't actually mm-hmm. call it that, but it's... Do you know Camille a, a good, was... A clean white man is yeah. what, you, what you mean to say. Camille was in the running to be the Falcons coach, and then at the end <laughs> he was true. like, I actually don't know anything about football. Well, like, they, right, they always call enough. me. Yeah, they always call me. <laughs> like, hey, Camille, yeah, you know. Yeah. Buffalo Bills coach Thomas, and Ch- Thomas Chatterfield yeah. Williams. Um, <laughs> well, it has been. Those are the, those are the only black, only quote unquote, black people you know, and they don't even, they don't like yeah, being called yeah, black. Exactly. So, yeah. Very actually, sad for you. I and I couldn't even pronounce his name. <laughs> you know who helped him get uh, pressure the NFL into the Rooney rule was Johnny Cochran at the time. Um, oh, or, I wow. believe that. That makes a lot of sense. That makes a yeah. lot of sense. Lap chick and Cochran, Cochran. Uh, back in the early 2000s. So he has been on this. <laughs> That's what a law firm. My favorite law firm. And speed is Ridiculous. It's outrageous. <laughs> so he has been on this for a while, and he's very open about how the racial reckoning of 2020 has been great for business. Now, for those who oh, do yeah. not know, Dude, when, I call, him, when I call him the Robin D'Angelo, in part it is because he, he is indeed white, and he is billed, self-styled as the racial conscience of sport. That's what it says on uh, his website at the University of Central Florida. And so that's... It's a lot. It's quite quite the claim. And so his job is to do these report cards and to pressure these leagues and to say, hey, you're doing better. You know, you've got an A minus. You're on the way. And he's got he's got a bit of a bully pulpit. Um, to tell the leagues that they're doing well or they're doing poorly. I mean, we always need to do better, guys. Do better, right? Yeah. That's yeah. what we always yeah. need to do more Especially of. You, you do better. I'm yeah. certainly not doing a great job. How many um, black people work at your <laughs> Substack? It's a hundred percent white man. Wow! Wow! Yeah. wow. Exactly. Yeah. Unbelievable. Lord. It's unfortunate. Jesus. It's I need to do better. Chronicles. No one is more upset about it than I am. No one is more upset about it. So this is what. He does. Now, you would wonder, okay, so how does a guy 
like this who is white, whose main message is you need to hire fewer white men, only he happens to be a white man. How does he get to such a, a position? It almost seems self-negating in a way. And the reason is this. It's back in 1978 when he was a minor associate professor at the um, – was it? I'm trying to even remember. It was in Norfolk. Is it Wesleyan of Norfolk? You know, not the not even the good Wesleyan. Not the good uh, Wesleyan. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so he was a minor uh, associate professor at the Virginia Wesleyan College, and he was protesting apartheid, and he was protesting South Africa's inclusion of the Davis Cup tennis tournament, yes. which was yes, happening over right. in Nashville, um, and. Basically, at uh, late at night, around 1045 at night, in his office, which was next to the school library, after mm-hmm. the security officials and the library workers all went yeah. home, somehow mm-hmm. two masked racists uh, knew where he was, knew that he would be working that late, knocked on the door, accosted mm-hmm. him, beat him up, carved Niger into his abdomen, uh, the, mm-hmm. the African nation of Niger, N-I-G-E-R. Uh, threw him around the room, and uh, he went to the hospital. He called the police, and this launched his beating with, beat him with a filing cabinet. Yes, beat right? him. Yeah, strong racist. These racists. So it was ten forty-five at night that he made up this story. That, <laughs> it does feel rather slapdash. It does feel rather slapdash. Yeah. This story, and you know, it was interesting to see this because you saw very similar to Jesse Smollett. You saw. This dichotomy between the local coverage and the national coverage, where the national coverage just, for the most part, buys it hook, line, and sinker, and the local coverage is going, eh, well, wait wait a little second here. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't totally make sense, and we could maybe get into why that is and how that happens. I do think that the national coverage just went, well, it's the South, of course. Like, this is happening all the time yeah, in the yeah, South, yeah, yeah. you know? This is how those <laughs> hicks are. They're breaking into offices, <laughs> carving African countries. Associate professors. Yeah, yeah. And, um, but to so, be clear, it's the cops who investigated were like, yeah, this didn't happen. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah. they're Southern cops. <laughs> exactly. Like they would, like they would cover for racists. Yeah. 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 Oh, I, don't, I think this whole thing was on set up. <laughs> yeah. That's, I don't believe them. It, yeah. it's, it, can, it's, I, it, can I ask a question yeah. about Niger really quickly? Yes. Yeah, I, just need I got questions. Yeah. 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 Why? Why Niger? Was there an explanation at the time? I, I, I saw I, that fit on his chest. <laughs> I think the idea. I think the idea <laughs> on his skinny, uh, wafy, liberal he professor bring himself to write nigger. You, like, that mean, was the like, problem. I mean, like the nineteen seventies were such a time where there were only two body types. There was the Muscle Beach Arnold Schwarzenegger, and there was yeah, yeah. real thin yeah. liberal professor, yeah. and that yeah. was his typology right there. So um, I I've thought about this because I, I don't want to shock anybody, but I I don't I don't believe the story. Um, but why? <laughs> maybe maybe the guys were coming in and saying, I think the black leadership in the future should be Niger Innes from the, con- from the Congress of Racial Equality. Yes. It was a yes. little. Uh, yeah. Of center, I would it say. Was. Sure. It was Niger, and it was going to be Niger Innes. <laughs> the yeah, only think, good one. I think yeah. the thinking is just that, look, these racists are such idiots that they don't even know how to spell their favorite slurs. And yeah, right. But right. Sure. If, if you have the perspective that I have that maybe the story is uh, made up, then it's yeah. a question of, well, how did it go down that way? And I wonder if it's maybe one of two things, that it just hurts so much. And yes. the G... 
the G has to be the most painful letter when you're etching. Right? <laughs> it's, got, it's got a big long. Yeah, yeah. that's right. So that might be what twenty five percent of your letterage, and you know, the doctor. Yeah. Did, the, I think you pointed this out that the doctor did say something that they dotted the I. Yeah. <laughs> Which I thought was really important. It was like we're going to dot the I. Really, total Hold them professor. Down. Gonna, they might think it's a it's a lowercase L, so that'll be a nalur. Yeah, uh, but uh, but yeah. So in the, the 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 doctor or uh, somebody said that this is obviously this is what people do when it's self inflicted because it's multiple yeah. cuts. Yeah, hesitation they, it's like marks. Hesitation. <laughs> yeah, hesitation marks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I, I mean, it was very is, cur- is it still on his chest? Very is it still there? I mean, he he actually, still, is it still there? He shows it off at the beginning of every lecture. He he lifts his shirt. You know. <laughs> yeah. he, it's he, like he, thug life. <laughs> <laughs> but he's, he's since added the other G. Yeah. That's yeah. what he did. <laughs> it's in, it's in uh, like spangles. It's bedazzled. He, he's healed up, but for the G that he tattooed there of what, what almost yeah. was there. Yeah. No, I it wonder. Remind him. It, it could have been that it would have been too painful, and it could have been, I don't know if I want the full word on my. If this doesn't yeah. work, yeah, I, I don't know lie. if I want. You you know, I don't know if I yeah. want the full thing on the abdomen. Now, what's interesting, and I'll, I'll go to the, the epilogue of this, is that this story goes viral, reported all over. He's um, invited to Nelson Viral Mandela's. in 1978, right? Yes, yes. Just yeah. to be clear, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, he, he's invited later on, years and years later, to Nelson Mandela's inauguration. This stamps him. It stamps him. <laughs> Uh, in a way, metaphorically. Stamped not from the beginning. <laughs> Stamped from the middle. Yeah. As, you know, he is the white guy who has suffered on behalf of minorities and therefore shares mm. some of their suffering, which might be the entire idea of this. Mm. But uh, He's John Brown, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> he's pretty mm-hmm. much John Brown. Um, instead of killing people, he's getting killed. Uh, although I guess that happened to John Brown, too. But anyway, look, he... Uh, had the hesitation marks, and it is one of these things that makes sense. I don't know much about the job of a medical examiner, but when he explains it, I, I thought, oh, yeah, I guess a self-inflicted wound tends to look a lot different than one that is inflicted upon you. Um, and so many elements of the story sound suspicious. Uh, he passes out. He comes to, and this is basically being done. Then they hear a noise. They run away. They're never found. And uh, the medical examiner did not believe it. Uh, on the basis of the hesitation marks. The police didn't believe it. And the craziest thing about this whole story, as I was looking back into it and kind of stumbled upon it, because I was just doing research on this guy who is the racial conscience of all the sports leagues, who in my world I see all the time. And he's always wagging his finger at some league or some team for being racist, uh, for not hiring his preferred demography, is that when you read his book, as nobody did other than one reviewer at Sports Illustrated and has been lost to time, it is almost like reading a confession because it is so absurd. And it, it just showed me that when you are not rhetorically skilled, you just give it all up. You don't have any yeah. way of being able to hide what you're doing. So he and also we see this play out on Twitter with people where they respond to, and they internalize every criticism as though everybody else cares, and in doing so, expose everybody else to their best critics. And that's what I also saw, because all he's doing the entire time is chronicling everybody who says it's bullshit. And the entire time, I'm going, wow, this is very convincing. All of your critics who are saying this I have me very much convinced 
Um, and additionally, also trying to correct the record on things that look fishy about his story that then reveal the fishiness, where he says, look, I lied to the media. I'm paraphrasing here. I lied to the local media. I lied to the media about how it wasn't the full about how it was the full slur. Well, I did it because the police told me to do it. It's like, I didn't even know you lied. Like now I'm now we're already in suspicionville. Uh, <laughs> we're already now. I, now the I know police that you said lied. when you talk to the media, add an extra G. <laughs> Said, he, his, that sounds like the police. <laughs> <laughs> he said his his spiel on it was that there are certain details that can be used to catch the assailants, and they don't want you know they don't yeah. want yeah, me that's, to. That's a lie. Yeah, it's yeah, very right. uh, I would say suspicious. And then the other thing that is interesting looking back on it is that he not only has been dining out on this story and it's part of his retail pitch. You know, unlike D'Angelo, who has a lot of very stupid content on what you should do. Nearly whenever this guy speaks, it's just his biography going through the whole thing, right? And his moral authority. Um, and so, you know, in addition, <laughs> I mean, in addition to this aspect, he also now talks about the Sports Illustrated review that panned him as this uh, origin story for himself because he says that the Sports Illustrated review doubted that the ranks of these leagues needed to be reformed and had, you know, basically said, what's the matter? You know, sports are racially integrated, and they didn't understand that it's about the ownership and the GMs and everybody else. The review says nothing like that. There's nothing like that in the review. He has made this up about the review that pans him for being a terrible writer and used it to uh, further, I don't know, give you more of this biography that people find alluring and, and, and sells them on. And so, uh, yeah, I basically came to the conclusion that this guy is a massive fraud and uh, has now, you know, some people are wondering to what status, to what end. He gets paid $15,000 now every time he talks about this. It's rather remarkable yeah. for a 45-minute chat. Class, uh, yeah. first class uh, travel, too. Yeah. That's, that's what the speaking agency told you, right? Yeah. So yeah. this this came out a couple of days ago. What has been the reaction since? Have people mm -hmm. noticed that um, the main DEI guy in professional sporting leagues, the heir apparent to Harry Edwards, I guess, who's more of a, a, a hectorer back in the 90s, then I don't think he had a whole active business that was wrapped around it, but um, uh, uh, that his origin story is is an, an absolutely absurd, made-up, juicy, smolier situation. There has been no response anywhere. He has not come forward to say anything. I think there's just this sense of waiting it out. I don't know if the leagues will continue the racial and gender report cards, which is just an absurd phrase now that I think about it. Um, but these report and cards are... Those are to... They're for the organization like writ large is like the entire Los Angeles Lakers. Do they have other parking attendants? Are there other <laughs> executives? No, I mean, like, what, yeah. is, what does that report card look like? Well, the report card, um, I think, looks at the decision makers and um, incorporates them. I talked to him a bit about this and it didn't make it in the article, but he does it. I kind of according to the U.S. Census is the baseline, which is an interesting way to approach what hiring should be in sports. And he doesn't accept certain premises when I was bouncing it off him that, well, I mean, there are more men who are interested in sports than women. So does that enter into anything when you're like, no, that's just not, that's wrong. Think you're not, you know, supposed to think about it that way. Um, but it matters to these leagues. And in this, I think the story gets institutionally informative to me um, because it's not just that this guy's a fraud and he's ludicrous. 
it's the way this is used is intriguing because the leagues, and for those who are not sports fans, there's something called the league office that's kind of the you know, the, the main, it's almost like what Washington DC is to the rest of the government. That's what the league office is to all these, uh, to, to everybody else, to all these teams that operate as their own little fiefdoms. And it's a bully pulpit tool is what this is. It's a way for the commissioner of the league to point to the teams and say, you're fucking up. Look at Richard Lapchick's score. We're going in the wrong direction. We are not doing better. Ladies and gentlemen, we might even be doing worse. You need to change your hiring now because the commissioners are very interested in hiring uh, more non-white males, frankly. Um, and they see it as a way to prevent against lawsuits. They never present it that way, but that is how they see it internally. They also see it as a way to reach new fan bases. Um, overall, sports are not gaining new fans. Gen Z is not as interested in sports. So now there's this neurotic fear of how do we find new people? How do we bring new people in? So commissioners are interested in it. They use the Lapchick score to point to as this objective measure of how they're fucking up. And they hope it works, but the problem is these teams making these decisions um, get hired and fired on the basis of whether they win or lose games. So, you know, they can be bullied in this way, but that doesn't mean that they're going to change who they select as a coach or a general manager. That's usually going to be determined by who they think will do well. As a, a journalistic question, yeah, a number of times I've done similar interviews where I'm digging into something and I discover that the person is probably lying about something. And that's probably going to be the focus of the story that I'm about to produce. Was At what point in interviewing him did he realize that you were about to call him a fraud? Or was there a point in that interview where he said, wait, what do you, what's, the, what's the angle of the story? They always say I, that. I can, I can tell you exactly where the interview went south. And it is not reflected in the article, but might speak to... I don't know. I might be a bit of a shit stirrer and I might, I, I, I might just like to have fun is what I would say. So he's talking about how we need to do better. We need to do better. And he's very comfortable. I feel like he has not had a critical interview ever, which is just highly yeah. ironic considering that this guy is just dancing through a minefield theoretically as a white male telling everybody they need to hire fewer of them. But he's, you know, he just gets rapturous coverage. You can look it up. And he's talking about how you know the ownership ranks are so white male, it's a problem. And I go, and I learned earlier on that um, he, he is a Slav. He is not Jewish, Lapchik. Um, I might have more of a whatever you would say, a, a, analogous to a, me, a melanin force shield, as uh, Camille says. Yeah. <laughs> and I go, well, half the owners in the NBA are Jewish. Um, that's pretty disproportionate. Why is it? that they it's bad if they're disproportionately white but not bad if they're disproportionately jewish and oh. he basically hung up on me <laughs> 30 seconds he hustled oh, me off huh. the phone he hustled me he didn't hang up like cold call like click but he basically hustled me off the phone and said and with that i have to go he said we don't track religion stutter stammer there wasn't much of a you know a, a way huh. to really approach that particular question um and Hey, I, I just I just wanted to throw it out there. I was just asking questions because I do think there's something very much unquestioned um, in a lot of our institutions about just saying we need to have blank demographic uh, reduced. That is what doing better is. And that's a bit ugly. No, I mean, to say nothing of the externalities of such a mentality. 
uh, to say nothing of what that might do to hinder your capacity in certain institutions, but it's just taken as an article of faith that it's always good. But it seems like this entire ideology and view has not reconciled itself and has all these different contradictions. Uh, you know, right now, a lot of people who believe as Lapchick does believe that a, we need more black coaches because that reflects the people who are playing on the playing fields. But B, we need women to be hired as coaches. Well, that doesn't necessarily make a lot of sense. You know, it's mm -hmm. if you believe, um, I don't know, Becky Hammond, who congrats to her. She just won a WNBA championship. But a lot of people are saying that she should be an NBA coach. I mean, who could be less representative of NBA players than, a, you know, white American woman under six feet tall. I mean, that's not very representative at all. So, you know, this whole viewpoint, it kind of just moves off of vibes and sort of a sense of what to do, but it doesn't seem entirely logical. And it seems like if you get somebody like a lap chick and you start interviewing them, it, it, it's difficult for their whole thing to stand up to scrutiny. The equity imperative seems to, to fail most dramatically like on the court on the field like yeah. it's never an issue and it's it's always been like the astonishing contrast between these sports that are are driven by merit the competition yeah. between the lines has everything to do with whether or not you can do the job and no one would dream no one would dream of governing their team um <laughs> governing their the the players anyways in the same way that they try to govern the front office and every other dimension of the league and talk incessantly about these things. Imagine trying to staff the, the team on the field by looking at the racial composition. You, you should yeah. have said, as a Jew, I really think there's not enough Jews in the NBA, which would have been an amazing. I wonder what he would have said. You think he would have said we don't do religion at that point? Like, I think it's anti-Semitism that, that uh, the Dallas Mavericks don't have any Jews on the court. Just you know, there should be like a pass over to Heim Mendelbaum, who's going to, you know, drain a three. Yeah, you know, he's a, on a, la a step ladder, but it's fine. You just keep bouncing <laughs> off this foreskin ceiling and they just can't get on the court. <laughs> the foreskins. So thank you for giving me the name of the episode. Oh my. It's just so it unfortunate. Kuzi, Jewish? I don't Bob believe Kuzi so. He wasn't Jewish, was he? I don't, know. I don't think so. I, I don't. Yeah, I don't. I'm trying to start rumors. In Boston, they didn't allow that. I think in Boston they were like last people to even have Jews you go to Harvard allowed into the garden. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, from their from their perspective though, because that's often what people and now it's right coded to be against these imperatives. Um, even though a lot of this, uh, a lot of this perspective and the you know radicalization of it is fairly recent. You're now right wing if you if you do express skepticism of it. But I think the rebuttal to a lot of conservatives who might be pointing to the field of play and saying, well, there are no white cornerbacks. What's up with that? I think the perspective of the lap chicks, uh, if you will, would be that, well, these jobs are more subjective. The On the field of play, it's subjective. That's decided. That's decided by merit. These other ones, it's a good old boy network. It's who you know. And in fairness to them, there's a lot of nepotism in these leagues when it of comes course, to these hiring course, decisions. Sure. In, ev in everything, yeah. yeah. In everything in life. Yeah. And so they're not entirely on to nothing. And, you know, the big irony of all of this, of course, I mean, this is something that just completely uh, ties my brain into a pretzel because, you know... <sighs> In a weird way, the presence of Lapchick validates Lapchickism, right? 
Because if mm-hmm. you think that these guys just hire mediocre white people to have important roles because they're comfortable with white people, perhaps of a certain age, uh, then who better to validate such a perspective than Boomer Richard Lapchick, no great academic, not a genius, not brilliant, who is, I believe, being hired by the white Boomer sports commissioners because they see him as somebody they would like to be. They would like to be a white guy who gets to hang out with very important black people and his friends with Muhammad Ali and was at the Nelson Mandela inauguration. They want him to show them how to do it. They might prefer him to show them that versus I don't know a black person or a woman. So it's this just irony upon irony that the biggest validator of an ideology that I find to be mostly insane uh, (laughs) is Richard Lapchick, who is a, a big proponent of it. Can I read you a quote from from Lapchick that's in your piece? And sure. I would like you to respond to it because I, I'm interested in why – and maybe it takes a few days um, for this stuff to percolate and um, other people to read it and be offended by it. But I was absolutely slack-jawed when I read this. And he says to you – there's a lot above it too – but the important uh, sentence is, since the murder of George Floyd, I have been inundated with 85 speaking requests – 10 new racial and gender report cards in numerous instances of asking me for advice on racial and gender issues by athletic departments and pro teams. He is excitedly saying, I have been in into 85 speaking requests since this guy was murdered. <laughs> what a wild thing to say to somebody and how fucking clueless do you have to be? But I mean, if anything in our, in these very sensitive times and the sensitivity of language and being um, beaten up or canceled or whatever you want to call it for uh, m- misspeaking, to say that, you know, business is good because George Floyd was murdered strikes me as kind of gross. Am I yeah. wrong about that? <laughs> yeah, I, I do think this guy has been in a bubble with a lack of real pushback. And so he just has said stuff like that. And I believe he actually said that um, it was in the Sports Business Journal. It was when he was giving up one aspect of this complicated bureaucratic job at the university because he wants to – I need to devote my life to – anti-racism he said and hey you know such devotion doesn't come free you know it's like i gotta eat too i gotta i gotta uh, get my fifteen thousand per you know per 45 minute speech the complete just lack of even hiding that this is a business did it it did jar me i i was shocked i when i said to him because i was giving him an out when i asked him is this more of a business or more of a moral crusade (laughs) I did expect him to go with Moral Crusade. I did expect him to go. <laughs> it was not a hardball question. Yeah. It, it was a bit yeah, of a, like a soft fur coat and a four-fingered ring on. <laughs> to lap chick and diamonds. Look He's here, like, baby. Yeah, go. Look here, baby. <laughs> baby, baby, baby. We're making Ethan. a whole lot of money over here. Okay, yeah, you know what I'm saying? Get Ethan. back on the corner. Yeah. Get me my, my money. My Jewish friend. <laughs> Listen to me. Hire black people, baby. <laughs> <laughs> I look at you. Baby. 
If any of our listeners want to pay me $15,000 for a speech to you, to your family, to your friends, send me a message on Substack and I'll be on the plane tomorrow. Okay? I'll be on the plane tomorrow. I'll be oh, 15 my. grand, first class travel, I'm there. I'm it's, still... I can't believe this guy's what this guy gets. It's insane. The use of accents also just reminds me, too, of what he believes happened to him. Because at some point in the book, he says that the men who attacked me had American accents. And then I later it dawned on me that if South Africa was really trying to attack me, the last thing they would do is send somebody with, with uh, South African accents. And it's just, how mm. deep is this conspiracy? You've got these good old boys trying to drag you off to Robben Island? Like, what's going on? Like, what, what is... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Man, we don't like what you're doing down there in Africa, in South Africa. I'm a Boer supporter myself. <laughs> you know P.W. Bota's a friend of mine? <laughs> you know what really excites people to political violence, motivates them? Yeah. The Davis Cup? The Davis Cup. Cup. Davis Scott. Oh, my God. Man, you see what he's doing in tennis? That's our sport. It's a fucking American sport, tennis. That's amazing. Did you, like, by the way, did you, did you look into, like, who invited him to, uh, it's kind of hard to do now, Mandela's uh, inauguration? I, I don't mean, think Nelson Mandela was paying attention to him, so somebody <laughs> has to have invited him. It, or he was, could have just gone on his own and like bought a ticket on StubHub in like 1993. I believe, and I, I don't want to get it wrong, but there was maybe some sort of tennis tournament later on where Mandela arranged to meet him. Now, the issue is that we have an unreliable narrator. Okay, so whenever yeah. whenever yeah, I read yeah, something yeah. from him about him, I now just go, yeah. I don't know. He has this origin story where when he was five years old, his his father was a, a, a Hall of Fame basketball player and a, and a great coach. And uh, Lapchick says that he integrated the NBA. And in the Sports Illustrated review, it actually says that his father was not the level of racial justice accomplisher that, that Lapchick believes. But he says that in Yonkers, New York, that people were hanging his father from a tree in effigy on their front yard, I believe, and were just, you know, uh, he was listening in on phone calls and screaming all these slurs. And it just seems like. Frankly, it just seems like a guy who wanted to live up to dad and has mm. used this as his way to confer some sort of... Yuggers uh, was pretty racist in the 70s. Well, that's the <laughs> issue. It's like it's possible. <laughs> it's ab- actually true. Yeah, that is... There's a PBS documentary that is about uh, Area of Queens um, in the 70s and a black family that moves in to yeah. the neighborhood and PBS filmed this documentary. I think it was like 75 or 76. You can find it on, on online. It's difficult to find. But I came across it in a newspaper article, and I ended up finding and, and from the 70s, a, a Times yeah. article from the 70s, and I found it online. And it is absolutely shocking, the level of racism, like straight-up racism, that you saw in these like white ethnic parts of the boroughs, in the outer boroughs, in like far-out kind of uh, queens. Give, give and, us a flavor of it, one hand. What kind of things did they say? They said, um, <laughs> there's a lot of, they, they, I, one, <laughs> quote, they one quote, a direct quote, one, uh, one direct quote. And this is just, I'm just from memory yeah. when one guy was like, I'm not so cool with the people of color that have come, uh, and maybe, uh, looking at apartments here. I think that was the most inflammatory thing that I can remember <laughs> offhand, yeah. just offhand. A lot of references to the name of African I mean, countries. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He's, like, he's like, yeah. Is this guy from Mozambique? <laughs> nice no, job. no. Niger. Well, yeah, I think that's yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, not And they're like, hey, buddy, enough with the language. We're racist, but we don't go that far. I think that's part of this, though, is that if you're a New York Times writer back then, um, you understand the level 
in the outer boroughs and then you just go, well, out there, it must be insane. But if you actually yeah, live, yeah, true. You, you live in Norfolk, you might have more of a realistic idea of the level that things get to. And it doesn't really, I also think they had a more realistic interaction, interaction with other races, like white people in Norfolk, rather than, um, you, you, the stuff that you see in the outer boroughs Hmm. in the seventies where, you know, if it's an Irish neighborhood and Italians move in, there's a problem. If Italian neighborhood and Irish move in, it's a problem. Like I always made the joke. Problem is the the fucking, yeah, well, that's, well, that in my family, that was the problem because it was essentially branded miscegenation when my, uh, (laughs) Italian mother got together with my Irish father. That was like, Whoa. Honestly, I was like, I don't, these people are really, really day class A. We don't talk to the, talk to the Irish. I, I, um, <laughs> Italians are saying this. I do want to which bring is, it. Uh, which I mean, you remember in Goodfellas, you know, this day and age, Jew broad, prejudice against Italians. In this day and age, this amazing Joe Pesci line in that movie. <laughs> Jew broad. <laughs> I, do, uh, I do want to bring it back great, to, the, to the diversity as a business thing, because I, I, I feel like that is the, one of the big unreconciled questions of the era. Oh, you want more than that for free? Oh, come on. Now. We got to pay the bills. So sign up. You hear the rest of it. I promise you it's really good. And when it's not really good, you can call me and uh, I will start crying on the phone and apologize. And I'll give you half your money back. Not all of it. Just half of it. Sign up over at wethefifth.substack.com. Boy.